0: But if you're, you're in contact with that top 50 people every single month, they will start to know you. And Make sure that those comments are not all of those comments, but some of those comments, you're mentioning, hey, what you do, how you just help someone. And not, hey, give me business, give me business, give me business. That's one of the worst things you can do, I think, is go out and say, hey, will you sell or hey, will you give me business? It's, it's trying to figure out how to add value.
1: do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents in our industry hoard to themselves, grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That's the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Pat Hyman, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars.
2: Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Amuchastegui, and I am back for an episode of the Real Estate Rockstars. I tell you what, I'm super excited today about the interview that I'm about to do. This 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 one's going to be pretty unique, you know, so I get to talk to my good friend Ken Wimberly today. I met Ken several years ago. There's so many things about Ken that you guys are just going to love right? So we're going to talk about real estate. You know, I bet we're going to talk a lot about kind of habits and, uh, you know, and different things, you know, that he does in his life to set up systems that helped him, you know, create success in real estate and all these other things. And he's got this awesome app, this system that he does, um, you know, for his kids called the Legacy of Love, which is really like the, it's kind of like We'll talk about how he got to be successful in business and now what is he doing for legacy as a result. So so buckle up. We'll be ready to really just knock this out over the next, I don't know, little while. So thanks for joining us again. And Ken, thanks for joining.
0: Hey, hey thanks so much for having me. Pre- appreciate it.
2: Yeah, no, the you and I have been dying to get to talk on the podcast. It's funny how often we get to see each other and other things and and when we were chatting I said, "Hey, have you been on the podcast before?" And you're like, "No, not yet." So the to so today, today is the day and I am lucky that Pat didn't interview you a year ago because I think uh, I get to have a lot more fun with that. So you are calling in from Fort Worth today. So tell everybody just a little bit about yourself, you know, your your family and then what what's Fort Worth like right now? We're still it's like quarantine is turning on and then turning off and you know around the u.s it's changing a lot
0: sure uh, that's right fort worth texas and in, in fort worth is we tarrant county our county just went into the mask in every place ordinance mm-hmm. so it's I know, it's kind of like you said it's on again off again there's a lot of folks that had started to venture back out and now i think you're seeing people peel back a little more so me Father to three amazing kids, husband to a beautiful wife, Amber, my soulmate. And uh, Amber and I have Kai, who uh, is our four year old, just hell on wheels, amazing, awesome little kid. Then I've got two older kids uh, from previous marriage uh, Grace, who is 17, and Knox, who just turned 16, just got his license last week, actually. Yeah. So that's, that's my, my, Family and, and what, what guides me and gets me up and motivated every day.
2: I love that that Knox is now old enough to drive a car. I don't think my kids are ever gonna learn how have to learn how to drive cars. Because so Maddie just turned thirteen. I think there's a decent and maybe she'll have to, but I think there's a decent chance that the you know, that cars are gonna be doing such a good job. I know that my son Brax isn't gonna have to learn how to drive a car.
0: That that's what I said when Kai was born. I, I said I doubt that Kai will ever get a driver's license, and yes, you know, so now we're four years into it, four and a half years in, in, into his life, and you know now I, I actually the technology while it's there, it's the regulation that I'm concerned about with the self-driving cars and having all the regulation there by the time he's 16. Uh, there's definitely a chance that he doesn't get a driver's license, but it's really cool that Knox has gotten his and. Cool thing about this little sixteen-year-old—he actually wants to get a stick shift now and learn how to drive yeah. a stick, which I think is a cool skill set to need to know.
2: Yeah, that—that—that that, that is a dying skill set. There are plenty of people out there that don't know how to do that. And the—and our son, so the—I think listeners, you know, I, my son Brax is a—is the same four-year-old crazy little boy. And so, uh, when our boys get together, they sure get to chase each other. So. <laughs> Rockstar Nation. This is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat you know, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49 on there. I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, And in there too, he talked a lot about his six steps for seven figures book and training program that he built over the last couple years and i realized i haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we've built for you out there so if you want to check out pat's course we've got like a three-minute summary video when you go to it It includes so many easy to follow tips that you can follow on it like a day-to-day basis you can email reminders all sorts of different things that come with that course you find that you go to rebusuniversity.com r-e-b-u-s rebusuniversity.com look at courses you can find the six steps for seven figures book and really there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too our normal prices used to be fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars a course these are real deal professional courses but now uh, during quarantine a lot of them are priced down to like 90 bucks 95 bucks so we've slashed the prices going know right now is a time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do and if you go in there and you figure like, like there's a lot of different courses you want maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte, you can go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay. You get access to every course we've ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. So Ken, you're 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 up in Fort Worth, so that's near Dallas, Texas. The you have been doing real estate for how long?
0: Twenty years, actually, almost 20, eight, 18 years. So I got into real estate and in commercial real estate in two thousand two.
2: So did you did you start in you start in commercial? I did. Yeah, the we have there aren't a lot of people that we get to interview on here that start in commercial. I know that it's a it's a different skill set. So why don't? You know, rather than just fire away with some of the questions, why don't you just yeah. take us through what it was like getting into real estate, you know, new in real estate, what are the things that you learned to really start driving business? Because you had built, you know, some teams and a business that had really, really, really got huge. So, just just have the mic for a few minutes.
0: Sure, I did. Got in the commercial real estate business in October 2002. And honestly, I I, loved, I didn't Know what I was going to do. I interviewed a friend of mine that was a, a Remax agent a, about coming to work with him in the residential side, and then my uncle had introduced me to a gentleman that had a small commercial real estate firm, and I interviewed with him. and His name was Tom Ritter, and Tom kind of gave me his pitch. He said, "Look, uh, if you get into commercial real estate, it's probably going to take you about a year to make any money." He said, uh, "We're a small shop, so we don't have like a formal." training. And, and because of that, you won't get pigeonholed in any one asset class. So you can kind of work on whatever you want to work on. Uh, but we have no salary, no draw. Uh, you need to bring your own phone. Uh, we've got uh and bring your own computer. I guess we, we had, a, he had an office phone for me. So you'll have a desk and an office phone and everything else you kind of bring on your own. And, uh, and you probably won't make any money for at least a year.
2: And, and I can stop you for a second because that is, that is I uh maybe it's great real estate lessons there, but right now there's so many talks of teams and what can your broker do for you and things like that. And you're, and you're talking about that. That's, that's a bit old school of, maybe it's not all that old school, but just the idea of like, no, like you, you won't make any money for, talk about great expectations. You won't make any money for a year. So don't you're not going to get a draw. We're going to help provide you a little bit, but, th- but it's on you. It's like, Ken, it's going to be on you to succeed. These are the things that you're going to do. I'll let you have a desk and a phone and some guidance, but to be successful, it's going to be on you.
0: That's exactly right. And true to his word, uh, I, first of all, who says no to that kind of offer, right? Yeah, you're like, thanks, I can't wait. <laughs> so, you know, so I said, but I, oddly enough, I said, you know, I'm a self-starter. I think I I was drawn to the commercial real estate side. I liked the business aspect of it. Uh, I had family that had done some development and did a little bit in the development world. So I was just, you know, kind of I felt pulled to commercial over residential real estate. And it was true. It was 11 months when I made my first commission check. And it was $1,837 was what I made 11 months in. So it was a stretch. It was really, really a stretch. Luckily, I had a little bit of savings that were saved up. Of course, they were about gone in that 11 months. And But on my 12th month, I made my first $20,000 commission check. Because what I had been doing in those 12 months was building a pipeline and slowly building a pipeline. In prospecting and learning. And it was old school. This was, you know, I mean, internet was out there, but not a lot of the tools that are out there now. And so I had, and I was mostly in the land business. The first four or five years of, of my career, I was strictly a land broker. And so I had um, these taped tax maps, had printed out tax maps, taped them together, put them all over my walls with highlighted Uh, different parcel boundaries with who the property's owner. And that's what I would do. I would would make my own handmade maps and identify property owners that own these properties and then start prospecting, calling on these people to figure out were they sellers. Because what had happened about six months into my career, I met a guy who was a real estate developer. And I'm actually still good friends with him today, like 18 years later, we're, we're great friends. He was my first real client. And I went up to him and I said, Jim, I said, I'm a relatively intelligent guy, right? I've got a finance degree. I'm a spreadsheet guy. I like to analyze things. It's like, but I've never been in this business before. I don't really know exactly what I need to do. He said, you tell me what you need, I'll get to work for you. And he kind of took me under his wing and he started, he taught me Uh, what he was looking for and the questions to ask and what to go do to help find him properties. And that's what I did. I was out there bird dogging properties to go find for this guy. And then I met some other people in his firm and his development company, started doing some work for them and started to build a, build a a big business. So my first year I made what $22,000, my year one income all made in the last two months of, of year one. And I call that my substitute teacher salary year, because that's about the equivalent of what I made. But then the second year, I made six figures. And after that year, the guys I was working with came to me and said, hey, we'd like to make you uh, a partner in what we're working, because they saw what I was doing. They said, hey, we, we want to kind of bring you in as a structural partnership. And so I became a, a partner with, with those guys, a family owned, owned firm. And that worked out really, really well for several years until I started, you know, started identifying deals to start doing on my own. About four or five years into my career, I started I making good money. I said, hey, I actually, I see people making deals. I need to get in on the deal making side of this now, not just the brokerage side on it. And as I started trying to put some deals together on my own, um, you know, the guys I was partnered with kind of came to look like, more and more of your time seems to be focused on trying to put together some of your own deals. And that doesn't really just line up with what we want. Actually, one of the guys was totally fine with it, but the senior guy said, eh, I really want just a broker on my team here, not necessarily a, a hustler gonna go make his own deal. So I parted ways, ended up starting my own group and, uh, and started putting some of my first real estate deals together. So I started buying some land and entitling some land and, and uh, getting some of that done. And then in along comes the 2008, years later there. And, and when the, I remember I had closed one of the, the biggest deals in my career in, in July, 2008, I sold a, a multifamily parcel at the apex of pricing. I mean, I got record yeah. price for this parcel in our town. It took four lenders to get it done because the market was falling apart. In this, yeah.
2: 2008, it was starting to turn. There was this some was foreclosures, and we closed there was it in
0: June of 2008. In July of 2008, the markets froze. The markets absolutely froze. So we got in just under the wire. And interestingly enough, that 15-acre parcel that I had sold, uh, they ended up developing half of it, losing half the, bank, the to go back to the bank basically yeah. they lost half of it developed half of it but that was as the market was falling apart so
2: before we, so before we go too deep into 2008 so the so you're working with those guys and then you started doing you, you said you were doing some of your own deals yeah. and they and they were and they were like well there's a difference between that what do you mean by doing some of your own deals like you were finding some you were you were buying them yourselves. you're finding an investor and doing this stuff or you were going and finding a, a, a seller and a buyer
0: well, I'll tell you. So the first deal I tried to put together is a buddy of mine in, he was, he was new in the development business. I was, I say new, he was about four years into the development business. And I was about four years into the brokerage business, but we became really good friends. And we had identified this really, really great land parcel. I think it was about eight acres of land across from a, a, like a 30 acre parcel that just got announced for a hospital system that was coming into the town. So it was, it was on a corner, hard corner. We felt like this was going to be a great deal. We put that under contract. So we, we put it in escrow, put it under contract for us. It's $3 million. So we didn't have $3 million. So but we had the plan and a vision for what we were going to execute. So we put that under contract, um, brought that to one person who said, hey, I'll be your equity partner in the deal. This was a great lesson learned. So to the listeners out there, listen to this and don't do what we did it's a really great lesson learned here so he says i'm going to be your equity partner on the deal i said okay great and uh, i said so you assign the contract over to me um i'll i'll kind of reimburse you guys for the for the escrow money here assign the contract to me and then i'll i'll kind of finish putting everything together we'll we'll close it we kind of had a handshake deal on how it's going to work so we did i mean he was a he's actually a family member (laughs) so we we signed the contract over to him and we're marching along. We're working on the the kind of layout, the plans, the potential tenancy on who we're gonna bring in there. It was gonna be you know, multiple pad sites up on the corner, either like a self storage or an assisted living or something in the back. Uh, so we're doing our work and all that. And about a week before due diligence ends on that deal, our, our investor comes back to us and says, uh, hey guys, I couldn't put together the money. What do you mean you couldn't put together the money? You said you were the money. You, you were the money. You were the money. What do you mean you couldn't put together the money? He goes, and, and so what we learned there is that, no, he was not the money. He thought he had the money from some other sources and places and was going to go put it together. And so he basically says, look, I'm punting the deal. And um, he told me, he said, look, I know you kind of brought it to me, you know, brought the deal as a broker. You're in there with, it's like a $50,000 commission or something on there. He said, you know, if you want to go try to, you know, have someone else pick up the contract, you got a little bit of time. There's like a week left yeah. to do this. And here's another great thing of, of having people in your Rolodex. I picked up the phone, called a guy that I I had never met him before, but I'd heard his reputation. So I called him. He says, come on over to my office. I go in there and I pitched the whole vision for the plan, what we were going to do, how we we're going to lay it out, everything for it, the price on the property. And I told him, yeah, I, I was very transparent with him. He says, we were trying to do this on our own. Our equity fell out. I'm bringing it to you. If if you want it, here's the contract. Because uh, if if this contract goes away, the the seller has other people lined up to buy it, right? And it was yeah. not for me. He picks up the phone. He calls his his secretary that they're working with. Him. He says, "Hey, how much money do we have in X Y Z account?" He says, "Okay." Hangs up the phone. Says, "Okay, we'll close it next week." <laughs> mm-hmm. Guy writes a three million dollar check closes this property uh, the next week. So I don't Did you
2: get think, to keep working on the deal after that or was or were you just the broker and then he did the rest?
0: I was just a broker on that. He actually sat on that land for a lot longer than I expected him to sit on it. He ended up selling it to another um, uh, development group. He, he did development on his own, but he, he just sat on the land, sat on it for eight years and then ended up flipping it to this other group. And I, I looked at his kind of total return that he made and he made a decent return on it but i would have been involved a lot sooner on that but i did end up making a a fee on it so that was first deal and then i put together another one and and we actually bought attractive land we had it entitled for a a office development so we took it through zoning got it entitled raised uh scraped the land scraped the buildings that were on there another lesson learned on asbestos and what you have to do there and what a racket shakedown uh, asbestos can be if you you find asbestos. Yeah, you see an old house, you're like the demo costs more than the house. It cost an extra $10,000 to go abate the asbestos on something we were just about to demo. It was before
2: nine. you can knock it out. So you start so you started as an agent, you're working at this commercial broker's office. He told you, you're not gonna get paid for a year, you're gonna have to work really hard and you're gonna have to do it all. And then you you reached And then there was somebody you reached out to and said, hey, can you be my mentor? Let me help you, Let me let me take my energy, combine it with your experience, he started teaching you some along the way so you started doing some land deals uh, yep. you know by the next year you made some commission by the 3rd year by the second year you really made some commission
0: yeah. and
2: then you started putting and then you saw all these other people that you were representing and said hey why don't we also become a buyer so you're going to still be an agent and you're also going to become a buyer did some really really big deals and then we had I cut you off in your story as then 2008 happened and you sold a property at the peak and then the market crashed so the yep. what did you guys what did you guys do when the market crashed in in 09 and I re, you know I remember being a home builder when it crashed so I was working for this home building company the uh, but for us in California it pretty much crashed in 2007 yeah. you know you know early 2008 and so by the time 2009 hit there were just foreclosures everywhere in Sacramento, California but the so you were you were saying you know 2008 you sold a deal 2009 it started to crash what was what was Fort Worth like
0: Yeah this was July 2008 and everything just stopped everyone in my industry around here everything just halted every land deal that i had under contract that people were looking at done because no one could get it financed at that point and frankly no one wanted to pull the trigger on any development which was the business i was in so all all of my what i was working on in a brokerage business it just stopped the the one of the land deals we had put together for a big office development i ended up in 2009, sold my interest in that thing because I was the markets were dying, brokerage was dying. I was working on whatever I could, so I ended up getting a pretty good relationship with Frost Bank, a uh, big regional Texas bank here, helping them do REO dispositions on some of their commercial assets. So that helped me get along. I did some small industrial, I did some a little, a bit of everything. I, I became a generalist, which I generally recommend that people are not. Is generalist, but from probably mid-08 to beginning, well, to probably 2010, I was a generalist, just slinging and hustling whatever I could. Still ended up, you know, making six figures a year, e- even in those years. So I, I did okay, uh, but it was a whole lot of hustling to, to scrape that out.
2: And that wasn't just land, land REOs. That was just, you got a relationship with the bank and started doing REOs. No land.
0: No yeah. land during that time. There was uh, actually, I, I take that back. There were some um, uh, like vacant lots that got REO'd by the banks and stuff. So yeah. we take that to some investors and wholesale the lots to some investors. Uh, but barring that, that was some of the only land that we did. This was industrial properties, office properties, just things that were vacant that banks took back, some retail properties. So it was a little bit of everything across the board, uh, but it was all owner user type stuff by, back then.
2: Rockstar Nation. This is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat Hyven. You know, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49. On there, I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, And in there too, he talked a lot about his six steps for seven figures book, and training program that he built over the last couple of years. And I realize I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we've built for you out there. So if you want to check out Pat's course, we've got like a three minute summary video when you go to it. It includes so many easy to follow tips that you can follow on it like a day to day basis. You get email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. If you find that you go to rebusuniversity.com, R E B U S, rebusuniversity.com look at courses you can find the six steps for seven figures book and really there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too our normal prices used to be fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars a course these are real deal professional courses but now uh, during quarantine a lot of them are priced down to like 90 bucks 95 bucks so we've slashed the prices we know right now is a time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do and if you go in there and you figure like, like there's a lot of different courses you want maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte, you can go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay. You get access to every course we've ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. So you went from there to, you know, five, six, seven years later, you had built this this team with this kind of giant system and database where you were able to, you know, get leads coming in the door. And how did you, how big did your team get? How did you build that team? And what was the, what was like the secret to success? Well,
0: in 2010, I hired my first business coach and, and that was a big key right there. So in 2009, Uh, October 2009, I joined KW Commercial. In 2010, a few months later, I hired my first business coach. And and one of the first things he did was kind of looked at my transaction volume over the past several years. He said, Wimberly, you've got actually your your deal flow is pretty damn good. You're doing a good number of transactions a year, but the size of the deals was pretty small. Like, again, I was taking a bunch of just random REO stuff and, and deals that came my way. He said, so we've got to get you focused on bigger transactions. He said, and I really want you to focus on a specialty. You know, I was a journalist for the past several years. My only specialty had been the land business years ago. He said, you need to look at a specialty that's got a high volume of turnover and a high price point so that you can actually do well in this business. And so ended up selling on the the triple net investment asset class. So I was looking at and that was late 2011 is when I really started moving into the, the triple net asset. And it's interesting story about you kind of put what is going to be out to the world. I started telling everyone I knew that I was hundred percent focused on triple net investment properties. And I'd have to frankly explain what those were to a lot of people. Oh, let me tell yeah. you what a single triple, triple net property is. It might be a CVS or a Walgreens or a dollar general and, uh, a lot of people would just assume- So tell our net.
2: listeners, so what what does triple net mean?
0: So, so triple net refers to the taxes, the three nets or taxes, insurance, and common area maintenance, all of which are typically paid by a tenant of a building. So if you are a landlord leasing to, let's say a dollar general, the dollar it, it acts like uh, you, you get not only the rent check from dollar general, but dollar general also pays for the taxes on the building, the insurance on the building and the maintenance of the building so it's
2: a totally different equation so if you own a property and it's a triple net lease like that's the amount you pay it they pay you in rent is your return
0: the rent is your return which on a single family you've got the rent Less your taxes, less your insurance, less your yeah. You debt, rent a house
2: your- for a thousand bucks. You're going to pay two hundred for taxes, hundred for insurance, all that. So the yeah. so triple net is the amount they pay in lease. In is that's your true return because they're covering all rent, your expenses. Yeah,
0: for an absolute triple net, your rent is in fact your return right there. Your the money gets calculated in your return. So I got into that asset class, and I start telling. I put it out to the world. I tell everyone this is what I'm doing. I called everyone in my database. Here's what I'm doing. I let title companies know, lenders know. This is what I'm doing. And before I ever had, this is so interesting. Before I ever had my first real even lead in the Triple Net space, because I had been putting it out there for several months. This is what I do. I had two referrals come from another commercial real estate broker that said, "Hey, Ken, I know you're the Triple Net guy. So can you handle this?" And those are my first two deals came from a commercial real estate broker referring me Triple Net deals because I had put it out to the world. This is what I do. So there's a lesson right there. You know, let it you. Know, Put it out to the tell world. Everybody what you do. What tell tell everyone what you do, even when it hasn't manifested yet, right? Tell everyone what you're intending to do so that it will manifest. And it did. So I started focusing on that. And then I started slowly building a team. I hired an admin that to start helping me with all my transaction work and marketing. Hired a second admin that to do more of the marketing stuff. I had one doing the transaction stuff, one doing the marketing, then started hiring some junior brokers that came on. And we ended up building a business so when I had joined Kenobi commercial I was doing about six million a year in volume and that was again 2010 right there by 2015 we had grown to about a hundred million in volume so we we're just steadily growing and growing and growing our volume on that team and it was I mean we were cold calling machines we picked up the phone we smiled and dialed we talked to a lot of people we brought value to the people we talked to. We figured out how can we bring value? What kind of information can we give? What kind of connections can we make? What kind of deals can we put together to help uh, you know bring tenants to developers? We're developing relationships with tenants, in, uh, in in making introductions to other developers right there. Let me tell you, when you make a tenant introduction to a developer that starts a long-term relation, they remember that. They remember that. So we built a, a pretty sizable business, got to a little over a hundred million dollars in in annual volume there, um, and through that it was kind of interesting because it opened up a whole lot of other doors going through that process. And so my I got back to investing in properties, investing in retail, investing in office, uh, invested in a, a in a Williams franchise in, into a Kell Williams Market Center. Eventually, investing in the in the laundromat business, and then eventually into our app business that we we created. So that real estate success and brokerage opened up a whole lot of doors that allowed me to pursue some other avenues there.
2: Yeah. So the, I mean, I can't wait to get into those other avenues and we'll get there in just a second. So, but so right now, so you have been in real estate for a long time, right? You've made money in a lot of real estate. You have a lot of friends that are agents and all sorts of different stuff. And you've done a little of everything and had your specialties. So if you were going to give advice to a new agent right now, and right now, the world is a crazy place. So somebody comes to you and says, hey, I got my license in February right before COVID hit. The What do I do now? What is some advice that you would give them of how to be successful? What's some advice you'd give them of how to get deals? And the uh, you know, what what would you be telling somebody if they said, hey, I'm, I'm new at this. What should I do?
0: I First thing I tell people, someone is, is to get a great database. Right? Get and use a database. And one of my favorite coaches that I've had just tell me. So that database is to be fed every single day and that's names, properties, and then, and then information about those names and the properties that you're putting in the database. And so what would I do? I'd get a database, I would start talking to people. Number one, start talking to your sphere. Let your entire sphere, that's your friends, your family, bankers you know, lenders you know, folks in, in title relationships, let everyone you know understand what you do in the business you're in and start contacting them on the, uh, on a, on a daily basis. I make a list. I tell people make a list of your top 50 people in your sphere of influence and contact those top 50 people every single month. And you don't have to call them every month, but you have to be in contact with them. So that could be a phone call. It could be a text. It could be a comment back and forth on social media. It could be a number of things but if you're, you're in contact with that top 50 people every single month they will start to know you and make sure that those comments are not all of those comments but some of those comments you're mentioning hey what you do how you just help someone and not hey give me business give me business give me business that's one of the worst things you can do i think is go out and say hey will you sell or hey will you give me business it's, it's trying to figure out how to add value and there's so much you can learn about people from i mean these days social media stalking. The other thing is just picking up the phone and talking to them, figuring out what's happening in the world. And so that was what my coach used to always tell me, is like, you know, when you talk to them, every single conversation should have something go into your database that you've learned about them. You've learned about their family, about their interests, about the properties they own, about the struggles they're facing, about any of that. I can tell you that some of my absolute best relationships in business have come from me helping people outside of the real estate business. I've helped people with their accountability. I've helped people with their fitness goals. I've helped people, I've helped some really, really successful people in connecting them to others. And those have developed some of the most amazing relationships. So it's finding a way that someone could use some help and then being a source of value. That's what I, I, I love that. So
2: the, and, and to really do that, you're targeting your top 50 And then you're making sure that you reach out to that top 50 every every month. And that could be, you know, just checking in and saying hi. That could make sure that on social media that you're replying to a couple of their pictures or, and even, and even better if you get to reply and go, oh, that reminds me of when I was doing this this week for another client. The, uh, I admire that. That's, that's great. So the, uh, so that's a, that's a very, for listeners out there, you know, Ken has said a bunch of stuff today, right? You know, he's, he's talked about making sure that your, that your equity partner is your equity partner. He said, make sure people know what you're doing. And even what I really Liked about what he started with too is he said, even if you have to manifest it, right? So, even if you haven't done a deal yet, you could tell somebody, I specialize in these deals, right? I specialize in this kind, this is my favorite kind, you know. Manifest what you want to be, tell yeah. people that's how the stuff happens. So, Ken, also, you just mentioned habits. So, before we got the call started, you reminded me that you're on something. How many days in a row have you exercised now? And just as you know, Ken is one of the masters of habits. The first time I met him, I was amazed at how at how fit he was with everything. Uh, you know, every other day on online, he, he you know at four AM he'll post a picture of his watch saying, "Hey, I'm up. I'm getting started again." But how many how many days have you been working out in a row right now?
0: Today, 551 days. 551,
2: and it's your birthday. The uh, you know, and so the what is you're a guy that has great discipline. Right, So the how do you work out 551 days in a row? What do you tell yourself on the days that you don't want to work out? You know, it is, I work out a lot. I do a lot of training. I have what I think is really, really good discipline. I have dozens and dozens of dozens of times, though, that I plan- I wake up planning to get my thing in and I don't. And I have an excuse like I'm going to get on a plane today. Or I have an excuse that I don't feel really good. 551 days you got through every excuse how do you get through those excuses how do you work out 551 days in a row
0: well it it certainly wasn't always this way you know and i would hear things i remember seeing a a kevin hart nike commercial where he was talking about no excuses no days off really really cool commercial that he did and that had motivated me that was four or five years ago when i saw that i was like "Ooh, i want to do that i want to work out every single day for a year and I would have some starts and stops like that. But last year in, in 2019, I had made the commitment. I was going to work out every single day of the year, 365 days, no fricking excuses, right? Just none. And it's, for me, it was the commitment to myself. I said, I'm, I'm committing to myself, not to anyone else. It's just to me to work out every day. And, and systems and routine really helped me in business, in, in relationships, in exercise. And so my, I had a system to make it really easy. I didn't have to think about it and what I was going to do that day. So my system, I did uh, three, I started the, the year off with 400 reps a day. I started in December actually with 300 reps a day. And so when the year started in January, I did 400 reps a day of either push ups sit-ups, uh, jumping jacks, squats, lunges, pull-ups, and burpees. I could do whatever combination of those, but I would do 400 reps a day every day in January. February, I went to 500, then to 600, on all the way up until I was doing 1,500 reps a day in December. But it was just systematic for me. So it was super systematic. And I'll tell you, if anything, I just counting the reps and the numbers started getting confusing to me towards the end when i do 1500 reps. I'm like, I'm having to write them down. So this year I decided, look, I'm going to keep on with that. And I'm not going to, just because I completed the goal of 365 days, I'm not going to quit. I want to keep, because I felt really good about who I was becoming. This this part of me was this person that was really true to myself and true to my word and committed to what I said I was going to do. So the people who look at me and go, Oh, if Ken says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And and that was, I was, you know, I was really happy about the person I was becoming. So I kept it along. And then this year I actually wrote out a little note card for every day of the week that had the exercise and the number of reps that I was going to do. So Monday I just pull out my note card and I follow what's on the card. Tuesday I pull it out and follow what's on the card. I
2: tell you what, that that system there is a hack. I mean, because so many of the times like the – you know, people, say, yeah, I'm going to go exercise today, but if there's an option or if there's a way, then that can get in the way. Because then if, you're plan- if your plan is to go do this and then it rains or you're thinking it out or then you go, oh, then I'll do it later. But instead, if you've got this really detailed thing of, Hey, you know, you're going to do it. Here's my card. I got to go do it. There's no, so do you work out most of the time do you do that first thing in the day? Like, do you get your card and get started? Is there a different time during the day? 90%
0: of the time? I get it done around 6am in the morning. Is when I do my from six to seven is when I do my workout. You yeah,
2: have any times and, at like nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night, you're like, crap,
0: I got to go do it right now. or I'm going to miss my day. That's why I do it 90% of the time in the morning. Cause it, it's painful to go do it. I, not, not always. So, so now this year, I also added in that I'm going to run a mile and a half or more a day. And it, in addition to my workout, so I'm going to run a mile and a half a day too. And so like I, I did my reps this morning. And I'm going to run this evening. And so it's not always that bad. But um, most of the time, if I have the time, I'll knock it all out in the morning because there's always an excuse that there's always something. I can tell you, Amber has a listing appointment tonight. I'm going to have Kai. So I'm going to be taking Kai out on the stroller and we're going go yeah, to go ahead. This guy's going
2: to be on your back the, yep. uh, as you're running. So a few years ago, you and I are at a GoBundance event together. And I don't know if it, I don't remember if this was like, Canada. If this was Whistler, one of the other places, but there we did. uh, You know, everybody did did go talks where at the very end they pick four guys to get up on stage and share their stories. And you, you and I were two guys that got to go share our stories out there. And and the and I was talking about kind of you know life and you know life is short. My dad had died, and this is how quick I went. And you shared stories about memories and sharing memories with the kids and the you know as a guy about you know discipline like you have been writing stories to your kids forever, right? Like something that, that a lot of people admire and say like, hey, I should do this or hey, I should do this. But you were the only person I'd ever met that like, you're like, no, I've when this would happen, I would capture it. Tell us a little bit about that. I know you can't re- retell it, but tell us a little bit about, you know, sharing the stories and the process that you've been doing.
0: Yeah, it's been a 17-year journey. Yeah, right? that's
2: the craziest part of the 17-year
0: journey. Yeah, my my daughter turns eighteen this year, and when she was one, and my son was in the womb, I made a commitment to start just to start something so that I could capture memories to later pass them down to my kids. And I was like, well, how can I do that? And what I came up with is, is I can write. I, I can journal to them. I. I enjoy writing and, and, and telling stories was so like, you know, I'll, I'll just write and I thought, do I do it on paper? I and mean, this is my big debate, do I do it on paper or in some type of digital format? And I said, I'm gonna do it digitally because frankly I can type faster than I can write on paper, which is why I, I started.
2: Yeah, everybody can, right?
0: And I started doing it in just a Word document and I just started telling stories about what was happening in their lives. And, and again, back to me and systems and hacks, I wanted something that I could live with. And so how, how could I do this such that I would continue with it and it wouldn't seem overwhelming. And what I I came up with, I was like, I'm just going to commit to one entry per month. So one entry per month per kid. It's like, I can do that. Right. 12 entries a year. And so that's what I started doing. And, you know, on average once a month I would jump in and I would write a story about what was happening with their development or their lives and, and then I started telling stories about my life and what was happening and sometimes a little bit of historical context, but mostly just what's happening in real time in our lives. And it has evolved over the years where, you know, you start telling a story. And how I'll usually do it Aaron, is I'll go through the pictures that I've taken over the past month, which will remind me about what we've been doing, right? Because you take pictures of all these fun and, and cool events.
2: Especially the memorable stuff.
0: Yeah, and and so the pictures would remind me. Oh, I need to write about this time or that time. Or sometimes I'll jot a note. Oh, don't forget to write about this. And another time, something will happen. I'm like, I got to write this down before I forget. It was so funny, where where people will say the funniest things. And it's taken me across this
1: beautiful
0: journey of of writing about their development, their milestones, their major events. To I've documented every family vacation we've ever taken. I've I've written the story about the trip, and usually we're on the vacations. Each day, I'll document a little synopsis about what we did, who we were with, what the highlights were, you know, what the arguments were as a family that we were struggling with, anything like that, and there's so much depth and texture to that that, frankly, I would forget. I mean, I would just forget the details, and it's, it's fun now to go back and read some of those old entries, like, I couldn't remember the names of certain people we met on vacation, even if they showed up in a picture. Now I've got their names. I've got how we met them. I've got, you know, where we went to eat together. And it's just to, it will trigger the recall in my children's memories when they read these years later. And then hopefully to my grandchildren and great, great, great grandchildren one day, they'll be able to read these and see the love and the story that came from, you know, this father to his children.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I remember when my dad passed away, I looked for any video I ever saw him talking on, right? Like the, anything that he ever sent to any business email, anything, it's just trying to get a, just a piece of, of anything. And the, and when I get to think about the gift that you're giving everybody with that, I mean, if I scroll through my phone, one of the things I think is really cool about what you said and that you're doing. So if I scroll through my phone right now, I'll see the big events. I'll see the big trips I'll also see like a picture of like a random night I was going for a walk with my kids and something happened that made me smile. Right. We take pictures of the stuff that really triggers us. And some of the memories are, hey, we went to Disneyland and we went big or we went to Cuba and this. And other times it's like, remember that night when we all went for that walk and the light hit us this way and you told that joke and we all laughed so hard, you know, and you know, it's the little stuff that gets captured that's really easy to forget. Life's full of those memories. So you've been
0: just scrolling through my app through the legacy love app i was scrolling through and one of the entries i came upon was something i wrote to my daughter and i was having a really shitty day i mean it was a bad day it was just if something could go wrong it had gone wrong Mm -hmm. and she had left me just the sweetest little voicemail and it was just her checking in on me to tell me she loved me i saved that voicemail I put it in the app and I wrote a story about, not a story, I wrote three lines just about how much that meant to me on an otherwise miserable day to get that message from her. And she has no idea. And, and so she'll she'll get that story to her here. Yeah, actually, this, this all along was was designed to be my high school graduation gift to each one of my children, 18 years of your life through my eyes. I, I, get,
2: I get chills every time you say it, especially, especially now as grace is about to create she's got a year one more year. she graduates next year you've been doing this forever and talk about the i mean I, I told you guys at the beginning that talking to ken was going to be one of the most interesting interviews that i've done because it is real estate but it's also about you know persistence and the and discipline and being able to you know work out every day or being able to actually you know once a month for in one in one sense you hey writing a story once a month that's not that hard In other sense, we all know as people that one thing a month is really hard to do for 18 years or somebody has, but for you listeners out there right now too, if you've got a 10 year old, a 15 year old, a 16 year old, or maybe you have like, there's no reason to not start this. Even in my adulthood, again, when I lost my dad, man, it would have been great if there had been a couple stories that he would have just told me when I was 30,
0: right? Well, for me, even though I'm going to give this to my children when they turn 18, I will keep writing to them until the day I die yeah uh, so that they'll they'll continue to have you know when i pass they'll have the rest of the story of me to them so this started this started
2: as you grab a word document and you would tell a story and it just kept kind of growing and so that started in 2002 that was probably microsoft word or, yep. or text or you yep. know word 90 word i guess word two word 2000 would have been there so the long as so you started with these and then uh along the way it, it kind of has morphed i guess before we go into how you do it now can you think of a story or two that stands out in there and the, if you, if you feel comfortable sharing it, like something that when you captured later, you were like, man, if I wasn't doing this, I wouldn't have shared that story or anything that you, that is just. Yeah.
0: So I'll, sp- tell, I'll tell you one of my favorite entries and, and you may have heard this before. Cause I've shared the story, but same thing with my daughter, Grace and I were driving around. It was several years ago. And uh, we went to REI to go pick up some clothes from REI and it was in a shopping center that had just been finished and they were still adding new tenants into the center. And we pulled in there she was 14 at the time and pulled into the center and Grace saw one of the new tenants and told me, she said, Hey dad, we should take Garfield there. And Garfield was our 15 pound orange tabby kitty cat. And yeah. so I'm thinking, Oh, it's, it's a, it's a must be a vet or something like that. And I'll look up. And I saw the logo that she was talking about. I looked back down. And I kind of thought for a minute, like, how do I respond to this? And she was old enough that I I could maybe be jovial, and I I said, Grace, they work on a different kind of kitty at that store. <laughs> and she looked confused, and then I I paused for a minute. I said, Grace, it's a Brazilian waxing store. And she turned so red and started laughing so hard. And then I started laughing and we literally both had tears in our eyes crying. It was laughter is such a connector. And that was such a connected moment for us right there. And I knew it. I knew like there's some moments, you know, it's like, oh, this is just it. And so. When I went home, I journaled about that moment that night. Um, and by the way, before I left, I'd snapped a picture of the logo. And when I got home, I took a picture of our kitty cat. And um, it's, that's one of my favorite entries that she'll read one of these days.
2: That is so good, man. The, uh, laughter is absolutely the, when I think about my best memories, it's that, right? Or the, you know, the most fun memories of my kids. Are, and a lot of that those times happened at the times you least expect it. A lot of like life's greatest memories were at a rant like you were doing a very random thing for your work at the last time you thought you'd be laughing, crying, holding hands, and the uh, I, I had a moment like that with one of my daughters about a month ago. I was I was scaring her by flashing the you know, I had the I was flipping the lights off and on from my phone. Yeah, she was in her room and so she's looking up, going like, "Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on here?" So she starts to get nervous and she runs out to her door and right when she gets to the doorway, I'm standing out there and the. And for us, it shouldn't even be that funny of a thing. And she looked at me, and she just fell down laughing, and I fell down next to her laughing, and we just laughed for like 15 minutes, all teary-eyed, because without even saying a word. And so, some of those small moments, is I think, like right now, like that's—I hope she remembers that one in 10 or 15 years, or maybe I—I I need to take a picture to go capture that. So, fast forward, right? So the we've only, really we've got a we got a few minutes left to be able to to crash all this in. Yeah. So now you have the Legacy of Love app. So, so many people said, Ken, this is an amazing idea. Ken, this is an amazing idea. You should build an app. You should, you should make a way for that. You shouldn't just be using a word document. Yeah. And you finally said, okay, what yeah. is, what's that been like? And the, and, and what should our users do? How can we support this vision of yours?
0: Sure. It's, it's been a heck of a journey to get into the tech technology world. Oh yeah. <laughs> like,
2: I, I've learned that uh, quite a bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, 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 but yeah, you're exactly right. So many people would encourage me to do it. And honestly, I didn't have the mental bandwidth or the space to do it. And so I've made some changes in my life, my business that opened up that space that allowed me to go pursue this dream, really, because it has been a, a dream of mine to, now I will tell you over the years, just telling people about it, I was like, Man, just do it, whatever you do. I don't care if you do it in a, in a handwritten, not... and I've had so many parents that have sent me texts over the years of pictures of their journal to their children. And that has been so rewarding to me. And so eventually I said, look, I'm going to, I am, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go create an app to allow, to make it the easy button for other parents to do this, to capture the moment really quickly, easily before they forget about it. And we released it last year. It's called Legacy of Love. You can go kind of learn about it at legacyoflove.app. That'll kind of tell you the whole story and and, and about the the product you can find it on the app apple store and the google play store um, apps for both ios uh, and android in the the phone and the tablet versions as well and it's 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 just this beautiful cool thing it's private it's secure so it's unlike social media where everything gets thrown on there and more gets thrown on there and they sell your data and market to you it's not that. This is a very private, secure, it's a freemium model. I Maybe mean, we've got a, a free version that we put out to the, there to the world. Um, we earn revenue so that we can support and build the product by uh, by the premium and family versions of it. They're just feature-based. Kind of, We'll go through all the features on the website. I'll tell you what's available in the different versions, but um, it's been really, really well-received so far. And- so, so how do, how does the easy
2: button work? So somebody goes and downloads the app, how does it you know yeah download is, the so app yeah.
0: so the, the first thing you're prompted to do is set up your profile so you enter your your name and your birthday and it says okay well add some family members and why, why do you add your birthday so that it can track your age every entry you you make it has your age and your child's age in there so that you can kind of look back on these or that your children can look back on these years later yeah
2: we're growing up too
0: and go wow. As adults,
2: we're growing up every every month.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, hey, Dad was forty nine, and I was four when this was happening. You know, they can go look and see all this stuff. And so you enter your your information, you enter your family members' information, and then you can just launch and start an entry and right You can tag the entries. You can, if you're on our premium version, is really really cool because you have a timeline and a milestone view that you can look at everything and you can tag any of your major events in your child's life. Like I'll use Kai, four year old, right? His first milestone entry is his sonogram. Next one, the day he was born. Next one, the day he, he uh, rolled over. Then the day he walked. And so I can see on a timeline view the date that that happened and how old he was and how old I was. All on a timeline view. It's so cool right
2: there. Man, I I wish this would have been around the, and I would have been following your advice for the last, you know, 10 years with this, the, I'm super, ex- I'm super excited to see what you get to do with the app. And it's one of the, you, ta- you also mentioned at the beginning that like real estate became that thing as an agent, being a real estate agent helped you also, you know, become an investor. We didn't even get to talk about your investments in laundromats and things like that, but you, but now you've transitioned into being a real estate investor across a lot of different ways. And that's been able to get you to a point where now you can focus on a project that you still do real estate. You still make money in real estate, but what you do with your money and what you do with your extra time is you work on this app. You know, you work on creating these family memories because this is that legacy thing that literally for you is about changing the world.
0: Right. It, it, It is. It's, it's, I believe it's the way that I can have the largest impact in the world of anything I'll do. Yeah.
2: What a, what a fun, admirable thing. You know, the, uh, and then tell everybody, what you, what's your uh, Instagram handle, your Facebook handle for you and for your app? Yeah, you, so, I think you've got two.
0: Yeah, me, I'm at Ken Wimberly on Instagram. Our, our, our app is at Legacy of Love app is is our Instagram for, for Legacy of Love. Really cool uh, le- uh, legacy page there. Uh, Facebook, Legacy of Love app is our Facebook page. And personally, I'm Lord Wimberly on Facebook. So all cool. right, so the, you know,
2: Ken and I, we, I, I get to follow along with Ken quite a bit on on Instagram and all the social media stuff. The uh, I mean, it, it, is, it is fun to get to watch and grow. When we get to get our families together, it's a lot of fun. When we get our boys to get to get together and chase each other, that's always a lot of fun too. A little bit less of that right now, but maybe we'll get yeah. to see you in the next couple months when you get to come down in our neck of the woods or yes, maybe yes. We're, we're, we're back up in yours. But the you know, listeners that are out there, I hope that you learned a lot from Ken today. I hope, I hope that you learned about some of those early real estate tactics, how to focus on those 50 people and really do that outreach. That's a very simple, actionable plan. And he had a whole bunch of other tips too at the beginning of, of real estate that you can do there. And then he talked about you know, making promises to himself As he made these really big goals, that's how he's, you know, he has the discipline. He's worked out 551 days in a row and and what it's like and how by creating systems, he's able to accomplish things that are really difficult. Am I having a real, so if you guys are out there, you're trying to come up with a new goal for something, coming up with that system, backing into it. You know, if you're going to run a marathon, you go, I need to do this this Friday and this next Friday, come up with your system back into it, make it simple. When you make it really, really simple, it's much easier to follow along. And then the, the most exciting thing that we saved the best for last today was, was really the legacy of love. And the, you know, if you guys, if you don't want to go get the app, do what Ken's saying and you take a picture and you start sending emails. You could send an email. to, you, know, you could create an email account and send it. You could do it in a Word document. You can do it that way. The I bet, though, if you want to learn, just like you go get a business coach, Ken's been doing this thing for 17 years. So if you think what he's doing is exciting, I would say go check out his app. Because if he's the guy that's been doing this forever, I'm sure that he has built that app to make it work for everybody. So I'm gonna go download the app. I'm gonna go start using it. The Ken, thanks for coming on here. Any final thoughts? Any last stuff you want to talk say to all of our listeners?
0: Yeah. Stay positive, please. There's a lot of unpositive things happening in the world. So I just encourage the listeners to, to really stay positive and realize that people are good. The world is good. And everything's going to be all right.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I definitely want to second that. Stay, stay positive. Stay positive. And if you see somebody around you that isn't doing very good, take that serious too. Try to bring them back into positivity. Positivity uh, with you. So, real estate rock stars. The thank you for being here, Ken. Thanks for being here. That was another great podcast episode for Real Estate Rock Stars Radio.
0: Thank you, my
1: friend. All right, bye bye. <laughs>